Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. Today, some more NFL news, and we'll be diving into the NCAA being cracked down by the Supreme Court. Happy Hump Day! There goes that man's jockstrap. <laughs> oh my God, did you see that? <laughs> America's team? Yeah, right. Oh, baby, it's a big day in sports. There's nothing like battling it out with your teammates all season long to go win a championship. Green Bay's got it this year. Huge move for him. I think it's going to be a game changer. We have a lot to talk about this busy week in the sports world. Welcome to the In a League of Their Own podcast. Hey, buddy, how's it going today? Oh, just fantastic. Like you said, it's hump day. Halfway to the weekend. Let's get yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a little cold outside today. I don't know yeah. how the weather was by you, but there was a little a couple of snowflakes falling. Yeah, usually I always have my window open because otherwise it's hot in here and I actually had to close it this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Deshaun Watson news. Um, up to 21 cases now. Stuff's about to go criminal. Um, a little bit of the digging that I did into that, it looked like uh the defense which is going to be the defense which is going to be Deshaun Watson he is his lawyer is trying to get the case in with the Houston Police Department um all the accusers the plaintiffs should be or I actually I think I may have confused that actually isn't the defendants would be the ones the plaintiff is go- is the women. Okay, so I had that right then. Yeah. I had that right. Okay. So they are trying to get the case in with a third party or a different police administration as um, Deshaun Watson's lawyer has immediate family or secondary family that is in the Houston Police Department. So they don't want any colluding or any, any funky business. Of just, of justice. Yeah. Any funky business even possible of happening, whether they're messing with evidence, doing whatever people are capable of doing with that kind of money. Uh, It's now up to 21 as well. Um, Not any really good news coming out for Deshaun as it looks like the notches are getting cranked up. The heat's getting turned up on this. There was 150 or so people who were involved with him over the past five years or so involved in this type of uh, massage therapy stuff that he's been doing and only 18 had anything good to say about him. So the numbers don't look very good there. Uh, Texans GM, I believe came out and said, this isn't looking good. So where do you think this is all going to turn? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice. Or the fact that the, Kind of like you said, the Texans GM just came out and finally had a statement to say about it. I think he – obviously, the Texans organization probably knows a little bit more than the media does just because they're kind of in the the midst of it. Um, And they've been pretty quiet. So the fact that the GM came out and said, oh, these allegations are troubling, we're taking the matter very seriously, obviously he knows – the direction that this case is going like i said as us as just look reading the articles that we've read about it and just like what the media has said about it it doesn't look good obviously the organization and like everything everybody in the case knows a little bit more and just the trend that this is looking it's probably even worse than it looks uh kind of like you said over, like around 150 women 
only 18 had good things to say. Uh, I joked before we went live, that's like a 10% rate of him going in and not being a dumbass and groping chicks. Like one in every 10 times he's going in and behaving basically. So, um, yeah, it's not looking good for him. Like we've said, hopefully justice is served. Uh, I guess I don't know exactly the implications. I'm sure there's um, fines, there's prison time involved, whatever it might look like, kind of rehab maybe, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, definitely doesn't look like a good turn for him. That's the thing, though, too, also, is do you think we're going to see Deshaun Watson back out on the field here sometime soon, whether or not that's with the Texans, which he said that he doesn't want to play anymore, so you're thinking that it's going to be with a different team? Because look at, like, Antonio Brown. His issues are still pending and going on in court, and it's years later after the fact, and he's still out there. He just won a Super Bowl. So I guess – these type of celebrities, athletes, whatever you want to call it, they have the power to delay cases, do all this sort of thing. So I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see him back out on the field before this whole thing is settled. Yeah, I mean, it's just at that point that it's a matter of um, where he's going to land. Obviously, he's shown a lot of disinterest in staying in Houston. Um whether that's a matter of if nobody else is interested, maybe he changes his mind. But at that point, Houston might have moved on. And even after this whole spiel, I'm sure they're getting caught in the middle of it with lawyers and legal fees and all that. And they're probably not happy about the situation either, um, or they wouldn't even want him back. So um, I, I definitely agree, kind of like what you said with um, Antonio Brown, how his shit's still pending and it's been years so, and this this almost seems like it's getting more attention and it's more, there's more going on than what was going on with Antonio Brown. At least what the media is showing us, it might not be the case, but who knows, maybe, maybe he doesn't step on the field because of being under, breaking a contract in some way with the NFL, um, whatever it might be. It's... It's hard to say just because, like I said, does a team want that stress put on their team where they sign him and then breaking stuff comes out a week later that is enough to put him behind bars? You just signed him to X amount of million dollars and the dude's not even at your facility. Um, I don't know. It's just a big – it's a big headache and a lot of baggage that comes with him right now. Yeah, definitely. If if I was Houston, I'd honestly, I feel like I'd probably try to get rid of him as soon as possible. Try to find another team that can deal with this with the bullshit and not have to, like you said, just even be involved. The bad news, how that affects your your fans, all that stuff. The locker room, you already pretty much shipped out everybody in Houston. You might as well let him go somewhere else to try to make his way through. Like we said, hope justice is served if what happened happened. And if not, hopefully Deshaun Watson gets to go out there and play some football somewhere. Hopefully he ends up somewhere and gets to play because he's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. So. 
Um, kind of, kind of sticking with quarterbacks potentially in the move. I know Russell Wilson's been kind of that, that guy in tandem with Deshaun Watson as far as is he staying in Seattle, trade talks, stuff like that. Um, Seahawks made it made a couple moves the last couple days, which <clears throat> is good in the lights of Will, in the eyes of Wilson. Um, they keep uh, guard Gabe Jackson signed to a three-year, twenty-two and a half million dollar deal. I know Wilson's big uh, uh, thing was getting him protection on the line as he's been basically running for his life the past couple of years in the pocket. And then um, they also went out and signed his go-to guy, Tyler Lockett, four years, $69.2 million deal. Um, obviously n- nothing really directly to Russell Wilson, but do you think this is a good step towards keeping him there? Or do you think this is just them making moves to make sure that if he does leave, they have some solid guys to keep that offense together. This is definitely them focusing on the Seahawks. It is a business. Everybody's replaceable. So it just seems like the chemistry and all the stuff that's came out so far about that whole thing isn't looking good. Um, One thing that I ended up, I talked with uh, one of my buddies yesterday about this off the air the Dolphins moving down, still having a boatload of picks. Do you think they maybe try to, to trade two uh, picks to Seattle for Russell Wilson and make Miami a playoff team now? That That is a good I, – I guess I never thought about that, and especially with the Dolphins having two first-round picks. They have uh, – what is it, 12 – or not, uh, 18 and – let me take a look here really quick. I know that they do have they had, a whole load of picks. Um, as far as I remember, they still have two first-round picks, giving up the third, which is a good move for them. Yeah, you moved down from number three, but you still have two – now you have two picks instead of one in the first 32 guys. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a good move. And as far as we were talking about yesterday with the Seahawks, only having three picks – and then a couple other ones, conditional picks throughout the draft. Um, I'm sure Seattle's hurting and would love to go out and get and have a, at least one, if not two, first-round picks this year to kind of either kind of see which way they're going to lean if they go out and try to get Russell help on the line or if they try to draft Russell's replacement as they look to try to trade him. So, um yeah, Miami definitely has the draft picks to be able to go out and do that, to be able to put together a package. And they have a lot of young talent as well to be able to add to the draft picks to get them to get Russell to come to Miami. Yeah, so it looks like they have the 6th, the 18th, two picks in the second round, and then they have an, their last choice is at 82nd. So they have a lot of picks in the top 82 picks. <laughs> yeah, so 6 and 18. So, yeah, you got – two top 20 picks in in this year's draft now, not down the road, not 2022, not 2023. Right now. Right now. And that's huge for Seattle. Like you said, if they want to, if Miami wants to give up those two picks and Tua, and then maybe an, an extra player, an extra later round pick, I don't see how you can turn that down as Seattle to ha- to go from no first from your first pick from being like was it fifty second or fifty third I think Something is their like that. is their yeah. first pick to having two first round picks 
In the top 20. In the top 20. I'll see how you can turn that down. Yeah, that's what I thought too yesterday when I when my buddy mentioned that. I was like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? Like that that'd be prob that is probably the greatest trade for both parties involved. Dolphins go to a playoff team with a quarterback with that experience, and then Seattle gets a quarterback, young quarterback, and they got draft picks in the top, whatever. So if they're still unsure on Tua, they can even go out there and get a quarterback at six if one's still there. Yeah. Yeah, like Trey Lance or even Mac Jones, I could see being available at number six yet. Although I heard Mac Jones had a shitty pro day yesterday from what I heard. I know his first his, – because I think he's had two now. I want to yeah. say his yes. first one he looked really good. His second one – I didn't. I didn't see anything on a second one. I didn't watch it. I just heard uh, yesterday from one of my friends off the air. Like I said, when we were just talking about sports, he uh, said that he happened to watch a little bit of it, and he said Mac Jones looked awful. He said he didn't look didn't look good at all. And that's the thing with these pro days, kind of like we talked about yesterday. Do you think that's make or break for these guys with no combine? where some guy comes in all high on their horse about a guy and he maybe misses a couple throws, this and that. Do you think that really drops the stock since there is no combine and this year has been kind of a weird one? Oh, for sure. I mean, the combine is – it's a competition. You should – you're – at your pro day, you're throwing a handful of throws to a receiver that – you've known and played with for years at the combine you're getting matched up with a receiver who could be from a different team who you've never worked with who's trying to bust his ass because he's trying to improve his draft stock and on top of that when the quarterbacks are throwing you're throwing against a couple dozen guys all competing to knock you down on the draft so that makes everybody that makes everybody come up come with their a game or you're next in line, the quarterback in front of you throws a, a absolute laser and throws an amazing throw. You got to come out and match or if not top that. Um, I think that just heightens everybody's level at these pro days. Again, you're in your own practice facility. You're not, you don't have a guy, a quarterback in front of you or behind you that's competing with you. You're throwing to a receiver who you're comfortable with. I feel like some of these guys, the one, the guys that have had amazing pro days, just like block everything out. They're like, I'm at my own facility. Don't care. I'm with my teammates. Don't care. This is me. I'm proving my worth. Those are the guys who I feel like have gone out and just balled out at their, at their combine. The guys who have kind of lulled a little bit, like I just said, I feel like they've gotten a little bit too comfortable maybe um, without having that extra level of intensity that the combine brings. Yeah, I know yesterday I did happen to watch a little bit of the Justin Fields pro day. And he had some freshmen out there that he was throwing to. And there was – and like you said, normally teams don't have players outside of their team and stuff like that. However, yesterday Ohio State did host a couple other college players who are from the state of Ohio that went to smaller schools, things like that. So Fields was throwing to receivers that he wasn't 100% for surely with that chemistry. 
but do you think maybe that's why some of these guys are getting second, third, fourth pro days that these coaches are calling and wanting to see guys do? I know like yesterday, Mac Jones convinced, uh, what's his name? Devonte Smith to come out and, and run some routes for him, which he ended up doing. And it's like, do you, do you think that's planned to make it seem like, oh, to make it seem like Mac Jones is like a good leader? Because Devontae said he wasn't going to be doing anything for a little bit yet. And Mac Jones saying, oh, I convinced him to come out and run some routes for me. Like, do you think that's buddy and buddy helping boost their stock a little bit? Oh, yeah, for sure. And like I said, it's they, they both know that they benefit from it. Obviously, Devontae Smith – he didn't it didn't it, it didn't hurt his draft stock or didn't hurt his reputation to come out there and catch some passes for Mac Jones. If anything, it boosted him. He's he looked he looked crisp on his routes. I didn't see him drop any balls. He looked good on his routes too. So obviously he sees obviously if, if there's teams that say, Hey, we want Mac Jones to have another pro day, Obviously, Devontae Smith realizes, oh, there's some teams interested in him. I wonder who's going to be there. So he says, yeah, I'll come, because now he knows those teams are not only watching Jones, they're watching Devontae Smith. Because if it's just some nobody freshman receiver, just some a guy running routes for Mac Jones, all the attention's on Mac Jones, but Devontae Smith realizes, again, hey, I'm here to prove my worth too, so... Yeah, it's 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 interesting how that's how that's all working out with these extra pro days and I mean if they can continue to ball out and look the exact same every pro day, good for them. But I'm sure these teams want to see different receivers, different throws, different whatever for these players to do because obviously they don't want to come see them do the exact same thing over and over and over again. They want to challenge them to make sure. Okay, I'm ta- I'm th- we're thinking about taking you at number three or number four make sure that we're not making a mistake here. So that makes sense why they want to see him more than once. And then talking about the 17th game season here that's been added in, is this draft going to be any different than the others since this is a different type of era of football? Is it going to be – because, like, how the records are going to change, obviously. Like – how do, how do I want to say this? Will this year's draft, I guess, have more hype than other years due to the 17th game season, potentially rosters expanding, more money going to be on the table after the end of the season? Um, the, I guess, how do you think – with this 17th game coming up into the like for next season, do you think it's building up all of this? People want to get to the season now because they want to see all these 17 games. Oh yeah, for sure. And because I think like you said, it's going to hype up the draft even more because right now there's nothing between basically between the Super Bowl and um, draft day. There's some pro days, which are technically collegiate, not even NFL. Um, If there was a combine, that's really the first thing you see after the Super Bowl as far as something NFL organized, but now the combine's not there either. And especially with the 17th game being released, I feel like that's going to be talked about a lot by 
the whoever's commentating and kind of uh, broadcasting the draft this year. I think it's usually on ESPN, if I remember correctly. Um, but I'm sure they're going to be talking about the 17 game season a lot, which is going to bring a lot of hype. And because everybody's excited to see what these NFL analysts and broadcasters have to say about it, the draft is the next closest thing that they're going to hear about it, aside from Stephen A. Smith or Pat McAfee or Skip and Shannon talking about it. But that's all regurgitated just because it's, it's, it's scripted in ways there. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, th- I think it's definitely going to bring a lot of hype to the draft and maybe change some, change the way some players think because they know that there's a lot of one-year deals, there's voidable years going on right now. So rather than the the usual stress of being a drafted player, having to prove your worth just to be on the roster, there's that added extra pressure of coming into the league when there's a new game. Um, I might only get a one-year deal where some rookies will get a couple years to kind of prove their worth. I might only get one year to prove it. Otherwise I'm gone. So um, yeah, I definitely think it adds some extra stress and hype around this year's draft. And what do you think about the bears coming out that the bears report by ESPN? It said, the Bears voted down that 17th game, and then I had to pull it up to read the article a little bit. And then it also said how the vote was unanimous. Why do you think the Bears are getting targeted as being the only team listed as not participating or wanting to go for the 17th game? Or I mean, I don't why know. Do you think? I don't even know why they did, because you'd think that if it got – you'd think that there'd be more hatred if they came out and said – the Bears were one of the teams that voted for it because of all the players and people that have a distaste and aren't aren't happy with the 17th game. If ESPN came out and said the Bears are one of one of the teams that came out and approved it, people are going to look at the Bears and be like, "What the fuck?" But now it's like it it's like reverse psychology, whatever the hell the NFL is trying to do. Oh, the 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 players and a lot of people don't want a 17th game, which is good, which is like the way people want it to go. The bears are one of the teams that didn't want it to go. So if anything, it's making the bears look good because like I said, that's the way, that's the way players and a lot of people want it to go is no 17th game. So like I said, it's like some reverse psychology bullshit that the NFL is doing. If they came out, if they came out and said these are one of the teams that voted for it, oh fuck the Bears, fuck this team, fuck that team. Why they vote yes, but instead it's the opposite. So that's why I'm like, what? I never, I never even thought about that until you brought that up. Especially yesterday, how we talked about the article stating NFL owners approve, not the players. That I that is a great point, making it seem like, hey, it wasn't all the owners, so don't worry. There's a chance that some of the guys are still on your side. Like some of the owners are on your side, and it's like they're not. No, they're all in it for the money. Dog yeah. cash. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fucking NFL is a business. They're gonna whether it's sad, they're going to do what they want to do, whether the players agree or not. Um, and that's every sport, even every company. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody is expendable to a point. Um, they could find someone who's younger, cheaper, come in, do 
do your job and potentially could do your job even better than you. Where that is what's so great about sports at the same time and is so cool to see these guys that have lengthy careers and are good at what they do, no matter what sport that they're playing. It's very cool to see that just because us both being athletes growing up, how hard it is to make it or even get close to sniffing that pro level is it's a, it's a long shot. I forgot what the stat is. It's like 2% of all college athletes end up going to play pro sports, something like that. That's I think out of that 2%, probably like 90% of them are D one. So if you're D2 or D3, that's an even smaller percent of that 1%. Like, <laughs> And then even staying in the pros when you're there, probably 70% only have a career of probably four years or less, three years or less. Mm-hmm. Maybe even less than that. Yeah. I feel like the majority might even be just one year. And then you're riding the pine. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool to see, like you said, the, the low percentage of at- – college athletes that go pro and even a smaller percent than that D2 or D3. It's kind of cool seeing out of Wisconsin Whitewater, like Jake Kumro. And then there's that tackle that is a, I can't remember what, what number he like rank he is for, for tackles in the draft, but another guy out of Whitewater. um, It's it's just cool to see Whitewater is a D3 school, but they're still pushing out good talent. So. Um, and like we said, football, how you have a great tryout or you – I should say any sport, if you're good at what you do, no matter where you come from, they'll find you and, mm-hmm. and you'll end up getting the opportunity to, to do that. But football, with however many man rosters they got, 52, like that's a fuck ton of people. Like after your O-line, your D-line – your quarterback, basically everybody else is an athlete out there. Well, your punter and your kicker, but everybody else, you can just take good athletes. So there's a lot of people who are good athletes. Some aren't great football players, which you find out, and that's why they have short careers or they get hurt or whatever the case may be. But how it is very cool how football, like you said, is one of those sports where you can be a D2 or D3 athlete and and still make it through. Because I think that's probably the only sport where you really have a chance at that. Maybe basketball. Well, football, uh, Carson Wentz, he didn't even play NCAA, right? Um, what is North Dakota State? North Dakota State. State? I can't is remember. Is that AI? NIT? No, that's basketball. Um, yeah, that's basketball. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But that's the thing, too, in his case. Yeah, he's, like, more under the radar. But he was – the North Dakota State, they, they've been the top. They've been the best for how many years. So, if, if there's any NFL scouts looking for talent in, like, these smaller organizations and conferences and leagues – they're probably going to look at the best two teams in this championship for talent. So that makes sense why like Trey Lance and like uh, Carson Wentz are kind of the two that have come out of there. 
Yeah, they're division one. They are division one football instead of NCAA. They are FCS, and they okay. play in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Okay. Yeah, like I said, there there's not a lot coming out of. I think North Dakota State's been in the championship and either won it or been runner-ups for how many years. So they're just kind of the old one team that throws their name out there consistently for NFL teams to look at if they're interested. Oh, yeah. And one bad, like, sad thing that I've always been sad for for the University of North Dakota was when they took away uh, women's hockey a while back. That was one of the schools that decided to cut the program because they didn't have the funds or whatever. I remember going to a camp there as a kid and the Ralph Engelstead was one of the coolest arenas I've ever been inside of. And it was women and men's at that time, they were number one winning all the time. Like I want to say that they were probably the best in the country. What today's Wisconsin is as a girls hockey program or Minnesota, even because they're always one and two. It's just, cool for North Dakota how small it really is and how they don't have any like University of North Dakota is probably biggest school slash most people in a town there Grand and Grand Forks um it's just cool to see some like Wentz and Trey Lance come out of there who guys choose to go to a smaller school in the middle of nowhere and basically live live like a king there yeah and it makes you wonder, like, if those guys like Carson Wentz and Trey Lance either – it makes you wonder what kind of other offers they've got from other schools, if, like, that's their – the only offers they've got. I mean, even look at, like, Baker Mayfield. He's an NFL quarterback and looks looks like he's getting better and better every year. He was a walk-on at Oklahoma. So it's like some guys don't even get offers that make it to the NFL. They just show up and they want it more and they just – their tryouts or whatever talent they show to these these college teams catches their eye. So it's kind of crazy to see that even some, some some guys who get no offers, some guys who get full ride scholarships and everywhere in between, all of them can show success to, based on – but they all got to show the same amount of effort. Whether you get a, a D1 scholarship or you're a walk-on, you both have to give the same amount of effort to be able to make it on that squad. So – it's all just about your path and how you get there. Yeah, absolutely. And breaking news coming out here. Sorry to switch topics really quick here. The NFL has come out and they have plans to remove some of the restrictions for vaccinated personnel for this upcoming season. It looks like they are not requiring athletes to get vaccine. However, they are encouraging that they do. Um, It looks like, The memo that came out early, it is quoted, it is anticipated that the clubs that achieve a certain rate of vaccination among its tiered staff and players may be permitted to relax restrictions that apply to meetings and mealtime and use of locker rooms. So I bet they shoot for probably that 80-90% mark on a team to get people vaccinated and then you're kind of good to go. Then you kind of have full go on the season like you said or I don't know if we brought it up yet, how Goodell said that he wants full seasons or full stadiums at full capacity this season. 
I think that's jumping the gun a little bit. <laughs> uh, just being a bystander of this whole thing, you still have the NHL that's going on currently who they did the whole bubble thing, which the NFL didn't even do, and they're still dealing with these COVID issues. A year later than it was, so I don't I don't know what it is with the NFL always thinking it's bulletproof and can pretty much do whatever they want to do them coming out saying this whole restriction thing, if you get the vaccine, basically saying, hey, you're either going to get vaccine or you're basically going to be in on house arrest again. So, I don't know, man. Just I just don't like how they do things. No. they. I mean, they're it's bullies. Kind of, it's kind of, yeah, they kind of just seem like they do whatever they want, and it's worked out for them so far. Yeah, there's been a couple teams this past season that have had COVID issues, but – Broncos. Not, yeah, Bron- yeah, Broncos are kind of the worst one. But <laughs> That was the biggest laughing stock ever. How could the NFL even let that happen? Three quarterbacks all out. Okay, team, you're going to go – a professional fucking team. You're going to go in on Sunday, and you're going to play without a quarterback. All right, go. Yeah. <laughs> like, they should have let him sign to CFL quarterback or an AFL quarterback yeah, like that to come fill in in play for a game like that is it's it's an embarrassment. Like the NHL even has protocol. Like they have a every single team has or whatever. Well, that and even outside of that, they have a thing called an emergency goalie, where if the first string gets hurt and the second string get hurt, there's an emergency goalie in the arena that would come down and get ready and play. Like the Blackhawks had that happen a few years back, and they're emer- or. Was it the Blackhawks? It might have been the Hurricanes. Some team had that a few years back, and the emergency goalie ended up fucking winning them the game. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? Like, and that's just protocol set up by the NHL. Why does the NFL have something like that in place where you maybe have an extra quarterback, someone who can at least play, gets a ticket to the game, and at least shows up in case a disaster like that happens? Yeah. I guess the NFL isn't pre- doesn't have themselves prepared for a COVID scenario. Obviously, you have three or four quarterbacks on your roster. The first string gets hurt. Usually, your second string is padded up. Your third guy is in street clothes. So, if your first string goes down, the third string guy goes to the locker room and gets suited up. He's not. But he's only, always in street clothes. But aren't only two on the on the fifty three roster, and the third is technically on the practice squad, so he wouldn't even be eligible to play. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how that works, but like I said, they don't prepare for a COVID thing knocking out all of their knocking out all of their quarterbacks. They're only banking on only oh one got hurt, next guy up. Um what happens when three or four go down, then it's like, Oh shit, we don't have a backup plan for that. But um, hey, one thing I did here real quick, sticking with the NFL, talk about our squad here real quick at the Green Bay Packers. Think they should go get Richard Sherman, reach out to him, cheap deal maybe, see if he can come over to Green Bay and at least teach Kevin King how to play quarterback or how to play cornerback. Like we do have a young defensive core. Him being a vet, he could really teach, like even Alexander, maybe some tips and tricks of the trade to help our whole defensive uh, core and backs get better. Yeah, I mean, Sherman's definitely that gritty, like – 
he's a he's a raw guy to have on your on your defensive squad and he's definitely a leader where when he's talking you're listening kind of thing um yeah i mean and he's kind of getting towards the end of his career where he's not a high ticket item to have where you i i guess i i don't know exactly the numbers on cornerbacks and what they like a guy in his prime makes a year but you could definitely pay him less than that on a one or two year deal to bring him in and again give you some more depth some more um that that vet status on your defense because right now like darnell or not savage um uh alexander is probably your oldest guy honestly i mean tremont they brought back tremont williams but i think he retired again or like his deal was only through the end of the year whatever it might be um but yeah to bring in a guy who's vocal who's gonna come in and take leadership right away i think sherman definitely fits the bill for that um yeah and he likes the cold. He likes the he likes the elements. So he he always, he liked his time in Seattle. It kind of seems like he got soft, a little soft when he went down to San Francisco. Whether that's the scheme he was in or whatever guys he had around him, but he definitely seemed better when he was in Seattle. Yeah, and just looking really quick here at some of these uh, salaries. Like we have Kevin King making five million dollars a season on average. A lot of cornerbacks don't really make any more than like four million dollars. According to Google, it's the average is one point seven. But looking at some of these top guys, obviously, who are good and have those contracts, like uh you got Stephon Gilmore, he's making thirteen. Marcus Peters, he's making 14. And then Jalen Ramsey is making fucking $20 million on average a season. So, especially the vets still being on that free agency market, you know, there were rumors that the Seahawks potentially reached out to him to try to bring him back to help Russ stay or whatever. But I really feel like the Packers should finally make a, make one more move to really help drive our team in a great direction. Because if you do that, then you can really focus on taking a linebacker maybe with that first pick or going to get him another weapon with a wide receiver. Or like we mentioned the other day, it would be really cool to see them trade up and go get him a good weapon with Devontae Adams and Funchess and whoever else that we have. Because it's really important now. You're starting to see that more and more substitutions at the wide receiver spot. Oh, yeah. Where you kind of have that one guy like the Tyree Kill who blows off the top or he's doing a, a wide receiver reverse. Like, he has those set plays where he's really used. And you're really starting to see that as wide receivers are starting to fill up more and more of a roster now where guys are maybe taking eight receivers and they all have their – one thing that they're good at and they're going to go out there and get the play done. So it's, it's really cool to see. We could definitely use a wide receiver. I know reported like a little bit ago, they asked Jamar Chase how it would be playing with Joey Burrow over in Cincy. And he said he'd love to be reunited with the guy. Those guys lit it up in college. So it'd be cool to see those two back playing together in the NFL just two years later. So 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely – Cincinnati is in the, what, numbers six? I think they got the fifth or sixth pick. So, I mean, I could definitely see them taking Jamar Chase if they want to get those two reunited. Um, yeah, like kind of going back to what you said about Sherman, too, bringing him in, or just anybody, whether that's a vet in free agency or getting somebody in the draft – they need to do. They need to get somebody. Yeah, they just signed Kevin King to another one-year deal, but what if he shits the bed again early on? They don't have a backup plan. You know what I mean? They need to have. They need to bring in somebody new that, if King can't hold his ground, that they have somebody to replace him early in the season. Because if they can't, they can't write him out for another full year and not have a backup plan. They have to do something. Oh, yeah, and even besides uh, Richard Sherman, you have Steven Nelson, who's available as a corner, plays for Pittsburgh, he's 28. Casey Hayward, you maybe bring him back, as he was a great backer. Mm-hmm. He's only 31. Brian Poole from the Jets. Quinton Dunbar, and then you have Sherman. Like, there's a handful of corners out there that you could definitely bring back to make make our defense a little bit more solid on the edges because that's really the main problem. And then with Antonio Brown being the top wide receiver, if maybe the only top wide receiver still out there that hasn't really signed yet, rumor has it that Tampa did offer him a one-year deal. Numbers weren't released. He still has not signed it. So you wonder, has other teams reached out, offered him a contract? What do you really think is the holdup on A.B.? Yeah, it, I mean, it makes sense just because we've talked about before how there's some teams that lack that vet status in the receiving core. There's a lot of young, really talented receiving cores right now, but you just need that extra that extra older guy in the locker room in that, in that huddle um, to kind of run that receiving core. And A.B. is definitely one of those guys where um, – He's proved year in and year out, even if he hasn't played a full season due to injury or suspensions or his holdout for one year, whatever it is. When he's playing, he's looked the same. He's looked good as ever. So, um, yeah, there's got to be other teams that are interested in him, especially if he's not re-signing with Tom Brady and the defending Super Bowl champs. Like, he's got to either be getting more money offers or – sees potential in another team for maybe more of a long haul where Tampa Bay is going to be in the same spot as they were this past year. This time next off season, they're going to have to worry about keeping all these guys again for another year. So maybe he's looking for looking ahead to that, to where shit, if I stay in Tampa, all these guys leave now, all of a sudden we're back to square one again here. And Tom Brady's kind of the last guy there. Um, yeah, there hasn't really been any talk of what other teams are interested. I know we've kind of thrown out the idea of him going down to Miami, kind of being a number one guy there, going back to Pittsburgh where he's had some chemistry with Big Ben. Um, yeah, there's a handful of teams I could use him. So it'll be interesting to see what he's kind of pondering and why he hasn't signed with Tampa yet. Yeah, if I were him, I'd definitely – I would have signed my name the second that they called me to go back to Tampa – Take take the, the small amount of money for this season. You probably already got a bunch in the bank. Maybe win another Super Bowl. 
Then when the market goes up next year, hopefully they re-sign everybody, are able to do that, whatever. They're, they're, whoever is their number guys down there is, is a genius for doing what he did to pull off, basically keeping their entire team together. So I, I just really don't think it'd be worth going anywhere else at this point when you have another chance to stay with the GOAT and win another soup, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be different if you lost a few guys, but they literally brought everybody back. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool to see that, too, in the NFL. That's like one of the first – the Chiefs almost did that, too, structured it that way, where they can keep the majority of their guys for a long period of time. You're starting to see the NFL shift that way trying to become the next dynasty like the Pats were and so dominant from 2000 to 2020. Mm-hmm. But I could kind of see at the same time, at the same time, AB's got kind of that ego to him where maybe because he's behind Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, he's kind of their number three guy. Maybe his ego's kind of getting to him a little bit where he doesn't want to be in the shadows on that team, which don't get me wrong. He had, I think he had one, he had a touchdown catch in the Super Bowl, and like he was. Didn't he have two? Gronk had two. Okay, but still. So Gronk, you know, everybody knows Gronk's Brady's boy. Yeah. So Gronk gets the two, and then who gets the other one? AB. Yeah. Like, you know, in the clutch moments, he's going to you with the ball. I feel like just to, like, especially for Tom Brady how he's like we mentioned I want to say maybe that was episode two of how Brady stuck his neck out for AB back in New England and then to get him down in Tampa he's not going to do that for he didn't do that for no reason dude he knows the guy can play and then you come into Tampa where Mike Evans is the number one you got your Godwin so you got to give them their catches I feel like Brady works he works the game how he's like how he sees it basically, but in those clutch moments, he's going to Gronk, or he's going to AB, and then I want to say Mike Evans would probably be third in that situation. So even being AB, maybe you're listed on the chart as the third receiver. You know the ball's coming to you in those clutch moments. So for sure, and kind of sticking with Bucks talk, uh, Bruce Arians came out in the past couple of days saying he's leaving the door open for that running back one position. Uh, they did just re-sign Leonard Fournette, which is a good move for them. And then Ronald Jones had an amazing year as well. He had the longest play of the year with his 98-yard touchdown run um, against the Panthers. This late in the season, well, it was like week 13 or 14, whatever that was. Um, but yeah, Bruce Arians came out and said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not kind of leaning on one guy." So, um, do you think that's good to kind of? for him to say that do you think he's not trying to play favorites or what do you think his kind of motive is there not saying who their number one running back is going to be so everything I've heard about Bruce Arians and watched about Bruce Arians is that he's a tough son of a gun and he he uh I want to say the other day said something about how his job in training camp he's going to kick everybody's ass or something along those lines he, he loves to make his team compete, and as a coach, you can tell he's a fiery guy. That's what you want. You want competition. You want to be at your best all the time, which is good, but you also don't want to th- 
to go red. You know, you don't want to step on the gas so much you put it into the red and then the engine blows early where you get an injury to a superstar. Guys just not liking you anymore, that type of thing. So you got to be careful, but clearly he knows what he's doing. He won a Super Bowl last season in basically a first-year assembled team for the majority of it. Leonard Fournette, great year last year. I know when Rojo, Ronald Jones, went down, he stepped in and was huge in the playoffs. I know he he busted off a few big runs in the playoffs. I know that one against the Packers mm-hmm. where he pe- people should have had him down probably three yards and – it was like 28 yards or something. He ended up taking it to the house. He's a big guy. He's a Mack truck. You could kind of see him in where Jones is more of that speedy, quick guy, kind of like Brady's always loved to have with like the James White. And then they got the Burkhead who runs it, pound, like when they had the blunt, run it up the middle, get your get your yards. Fournette could kind of be that guy. And then you got your James White, Ronald Jones, who's I think talent is – higher than James White, where you got a superstar, maybe another Alvin Kamara-type guy able to make those plays out in space. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's a good move. I really think it's a good move. He's going to use them both, obviously. Oh, yeah. They're one or two, just like last year, I want to say. Ronald Jones was one last year as well. And Fournette, until the injury, then he became the number one. So to those guys, I don't think it means anything. It's just – it is what it is. I feel like it's just a part of the competition factor where he wants his guys just working hard. And I think Fortnite understands his role too, where he's kind of the third down guy, third and two, third and three. He, if he fall, if he makes it to the line of scrimmage and falls forward, he's getting a first down. First down. Right. Kind of like Derrick Henry, just a ground and pound only needs a yard, like one or two yards and then falls forward for another two or three. Um, like you said, it's nice to have that kind of yin and yang, that counterbalance of guys uh, kind of like, I mean, kind of like the Packers even where Aaron Jones is kind of more your shifty, like downhill runner. And then AJ Dillon is going to be more of your third and one, third and two, just run somebody over and get a first down kind of guy. Um, it's always important to have two different, two guys on your, on your running back squad that kind of counter each other. I would agree with that. If you, I was just trying to think of all the teams that just have the one running back, and it's like the Panthers when they lost McCaffrey for the season, they were kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. Where Teddy Bridgewater kind of had to do both roles by himself. It is very important to go get a good running back, and that's why Najee Harris, those teams who can use a superstar great back coming of the future, he's the guy to go get. Um, I guess kind of uh, one note for baseball. I don't want to talk about baseball too much, but it's just kind of an early prediction. Um, looking at or with uh, opening day being tomorrow, Mike Trout, obviously the early favorite for the AL MVP. As you talked about prior episodes uh, where we're talking about home run predictions, he's also predicted to have the home run uh, title. I think it was like 42 or 43 home runs, whatever that – excuse me, whatever that was. So um, just always something to bring up. The guy's one of the vets, one of the older guys in the MLB, 
And uh, it's always good to see that he's still projected and still produces year after year. Even if he's on the Angels, he's not on a team that really throws their name in the hat every year. He he goes out and gets paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's one of the top ball players too. His stats prove it. He's at the, at the top pretty much every single year. It'd be nice to see him get into the NL, though, and compete with, like, the Yelichs, the Mookie Betts, the Jock Petersons, the the NL's loaded with superstar talent. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to see him get over there and compete with those guys for like slugging titles and stuff like that. And one thing too that um, I was something that was re- oh yeah I saw it on a I can't remember who was talking about it, but they referenced as far as like the Yankees and how the Yankees have been just dominant in the AL for decades. Um, about how how they do it exactly, but saying that they belong in the NL where they need more competition. They need they where they're they're kind of like the Patriots for how long where they just kinda get the free road, AFC championship, maybe somebody steps on their toes a little bit and then they're in the Super Bowl. That's kind of the same thing for the Yankees for years where they just kinda hundred wins every year, rode through the regular season, the early playoffs, got to the World Series, and either won it or whatever, that's where they meet their first competition. Um, obviously, it take a lot, and I don't know exactly how they do that as far as taking a team from one conference to another, but it was just kind of an interesting take that I saw as far as the NL definitely being the more talented side of the MLB and just kind of evening it out more and who they switch with, whatever that might be, I don't know. But it was just an interesting take that I saw. Yeah, I don't think necessarily they they could switch. Maybe if Vegas has a baseball team come in, they could go to the AL West, have the Yankees hop over into the NL East out there. But that stretch that you're referring to, and it kind of even still seems this way, you have the Yankees and the Red Sox, two markets that have empty bank accounts to spend. Plus, when you do the work and the whatever, like the Yankees had fucking Mariano Rivera, arguably one of the greatest closers of all time. Derek Jeter, one of the greatest. A-Rod, yeah, he had his whole thing that happened, but he was still a hell of a ball player. And plus, this whole steroids thing, too, real quick, everybody was fucking juicing. So why why take that away from, like, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa? Why, why go after those guys when everybody does what they do to get a competitive advantage? Like, look at the whole Astros incident. Even years later, how, how do you know that that wasn't even going on back in the day? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's kind of got their own little – Lance Armstrong, he got in trouble, and he's like literally 90% of the field is fucking juiced up on something. (laughs) Exactly. When when sports, especially today's world that we live in, how everything is pushed to that extreme, everybody wants to break those records, people push the limit. And you'd be surprised with what some people can do and will do to gain a competitive advantage. I know like NHL fighters talk about back in the day, they used to wrap their hands up in like metal chains and go punch trees out in the woods so that they'd callous their knuckles so hard that it'd be like rocks in their hands 
when they'd hit guys so they wouldn't even feel nothing. Like, that's insanity. Like, UFC fighters kicking trees and shit, strengthening their shins. Like, people are insane when it comes to competing when that type of money is on the line. So, especially in baseball where there is no salary cap, it would be very interesting to see if they ever did move towards a salary capped type league where every team's kind of – you have the talent in the MLB where every every team would be even. Like the Brewers, unfortunately, maybe every one in ten years they have a run where they have the guys who stay or they bring in the guy. They have the money to make the trade for a guy to bring him in. Like the last time was when we brought CC Sabathia in. And we went on that run, almost made it to the World Series. Small market teams don't have the ability as like the Yankees where they can pick up the phone and say, hey, how much you want for this guy? Okay, done. I'll send you the check tomorrow. Send him, like get him on the next plane. Like baseball is just one of those weird sports where like even the Cubs, like good for them how they won the World Series a few mm-hmm. years ago. How Like it's same as like the Big Ten being just a sports fan, especially for me. It's like when the Brewers are out, you want the division to win because it just goes to prove that they played in the best division and they played against the World Series champion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Except for Big Ten. It's unfortunate to see the Michigan loss yesterday. But UCLA, they've now downed to number one and number two, the first four team in. It's like everybody's hopping on that wagon now where – they have the Big Ten behind them. They have the Pac-12 behind them. Every, I, I honestly feel like the whole entire country's on their side and wants to see the Zags lose. Yeah. It's just well, cool to see. I can't remember. if they Are they the first team to go from the first four into the final four? I want to say that they are. I want to say so that they are. So there's two different runs going on right now that a lot of people are behind. The Gonzaga undefeated national championship run and now the UCLA run. And the funny thing is, is they got to get through each other in the final four here to see who gets to go to the championship. Um, yeah, I know kind of switching over to the NCA and kind of talking about that uh, briefly. Every time we've talked about it, I've always said how Baylor's kind of seems like the only team that can give Gonzaga a run for their money. And I kind of overlooked them and thought Michigan was just going to slap them and it was going to be a high scoring. Michigan is going to put up 70, 80 points like they've been all tournament. And UCLA holds them to 49 points. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. It's just that that's why there is only tw- – it took 22 games to break everybody's brackets. You just never know what's going to happen with these games. They look like they're going to go one way. going to be a high-scoring game, and one team's going to blow the other team out. It ends up being a low-scoring game, and the team who you thought was going to win loses. So, it's just any any given day. Um and again, kind of talking about Gonzaga with just how how flawless they look. Again, you want you want somebody to finally get make it close at least, make it a fun game to watch. They're fun to watch just with how efficient they are, and it's almost like playing a video game when you're watching them. But at the same time, you want somebody to, to make it close and make it interesting uh, eventually. And whether UCLA is going to do that or not, we'll see. But Hopefully, at least the championship's close if they get that far. Yeah, it was really neat to see, especially for that Josh Jozang kid, I want to say his name was. Went to Duke, left Duke, came back home, 
to the home state, balling for UCLA in his senior year, goes out there and almost drops 30 last night in the he scored pretty much half their team's points, more than half their team's points since the team only scored 51. Like it was incredible to see a guy realizing this is it. This is the last run. I got to go out here and do everything that I can for the team. And then he got hurt, sat out for a little bit, came back in, scored some more points. He was clutch for him. I know that little guy, the Tiger, uh, with his hair. I love seeing that guy just run out there. How fast yeah, he's he really quick. is. He is so fast and gets right underneath those big guys and just lays it right in there. And it's like, how? Like, how do you get underneath those big guys when they can just put an arm right over the top of you? Like, it's really neat to see their team, especially both of these last two games that they ended up winning against top-ranked teams. They've had starting five guys foul out with a lot of minutes left in the game, Mm -hmm. and they're still figuring out a way to pull it out, which is – it just goes to show this team's all in right now. I know, like like we mentioned, the first first team to go first four to the final four, like they're on an amazing run right now, and they're feeling all that momentum behind them. When you're hot like that, don't matter who you're playing, it's hard for a team to come in and stop that. And seeing both of these teams on a heater coming in and hitting each other right here, I feel like this – this might be the closest game the Zags have in the entire tournament because just watching them play yesterday, like you said, it's like playing a video game on easy dishing the ball, like watching them pass. It's like you're watching 1944 basketball bounce passes, working it all around open every time layup in the net. It's like, and you know what they're doing and you can't stop it because that freshman who runs that point for them, Kid's an all-star. He's going to be a top draft pick once he becomes older and whatever. And that Timmy mustache ride, man. Dude, his fucking <laughs> celebration. And he put... <laughs> I fucking love Dude, that. Every time, every time that he puts one in, he, he like does like a little celly. It's really cool to see a guy get that fired up. I know that team is a wagon and – it's going to be hard for anybody to try to slow them down right now. It's like they have all the momentum, especially since going from last year, I want to say I think that they're up to like 34, 35 wins right now in a row for how they ended the season last year with the whole COVID oh, pause. Yeah, yeah, they're, on, they're definitely on a long run right now. But, yeah, I really – when is that game? Saturday? Yeah, Saturday and then Monday. So they probably play Monday since they've always been that second day. Then well, no, both play both play Saturday, and then the championships on Monday. Oh no way! It's that fast. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward for I'm looking forward to Saturday sitting on the couch, dialing in, watching both games. Both games should be good. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think Baylor though will be out on the other side. Let's see what the favorites are right now. If they're if if Houston, or if Gonzaga is favored by more than eight and a half, I'm gonna take them. So yeah, uh, looks like Baylor Houston first at four o'clock uh, on Saturday. Baylor is favored by five. Gonzaga UCLA seven thirty. Gonzaga is favored by fourteen. Oh my! Oh my god! 
They're what 30 was Michigan favored by yesterday? Michigan? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they – it doesn't show. Oh. Well, actually, if I pull it up, I'll scroll to the bottom. It should show what the over-under was at the spread. Michigan was favored by six and a half. So six and a half, they're giving Gonzaga another eight points on top of that. <sighs> 14 points. They've, they've almost – the closest game I think they've had all season, somebody was saying, was five points, and that was like their second game that they've played. Yeah. They've been blowing everybody out by like 15, 20 points. And like you said, we talked off the air before we started the show. You can really almost tell within the first 10 minutes of the game – if it's if, they, if it's if gonna be gonna close, smoke, if they're gonna smoke them, or if it's gonna be close, yeah, um, yeah. Because I mean, Cause even like, like they yesterday, 10, they were up. It's over. They were up. Uh, uh, I think twenty three to eight in the first like ten minutes of the game. So then it's like, okay, yeah, it's over. Um, I think their biggest lead was twenty four points yesterday. Yeah, they ended up winning by nineteen. So, but that's just an ass whooping for college basketball. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially with those 30-second shot clocks. You're up 10 points. You got six minutes left. There's only 12 possessions in the game. So they potentially can only score 12 points. You stop them two times and you hold the ball. That's game. Mm -hmm. And like Michigan yesterday, 0 for 8 down the stretch. Like you cannot have that. They're all high percentage All great shots. Yeah. And like – before that last play there, that Wagner kid airballing. Yeah, like, airballed it was, the three. It was straight in. It was straight in, but it was just short and airballed mm-hmm. it. And it's just like he's one of their top shooting guys. Pressure just must have got to him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't – I mean, you are you made it that far. It's like every game – If if you treat uh, every game, it should be easier because you treat it all the same, whether it's a first round game or a ticket, you're punching your ticket to the final four. You got to treat both games the same. If you put that more pressure on yourself, which obviously Michigan did going over eight in their last eight shots of the game when they ended up losing by two. So they literally needed one by 14, one Michigan. Yeah, like if they would have scored their last eight shots at sixteen. Oh points. yeah, 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 um, yeah. If they would if they would have scored or made half their shots, or if they would have made one of their shots, it'd be an OT. If they would have made two of their last eight shots, they would have won because uh, UCLA went like over four, over five to end the game. Like there wasn't yeah, they, in the last three or four minutes of the game, there wasn't a basket scored. <laughs> yeah, the pressure got to both teams. You know, it's. Coming down to the end, this is potentially it, especially for UCLA. They don't have any pressure playing. It's all on the other team because you don't want to be the team to lose to the 11 seed. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like where the Buffalo Sabres are at right now in the NHL with their massive losing streak. It's like they have no pressure on them. They can go out and fucking play. All the pressure's on the team that they're playing because they don't want to be the laughing stock in the team that loses to the shittiest team. Yeah. That's still. So it's it's really cool to see, um, man. What a wild tournament it's been so far. Granted, there is still two number ones left, a two seed with Houston, and then you got the eleven seed, which nobody saw coming. <laughs> uh, 
What is what a season? Yeah, two or uh, two ones, a two and eleven. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess kind of sticking with the NCAA. Uh, it's been kind of an ongoing thing over the last year, as far as players getting paid for their likeness and image and stuff like that. Uh, two kind of things going on right now. Uh, the NCAA is currently in a Supreme Court case uh, that may affect players' likeness. And then also there are some protesting basketball players that president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, is meeting with them in regards to rules that are banning these college athletes from earning money for their images and likeness. So I guess kind of we briefly talked about it a little bit and as far as how we stand, but I guess – Again, to kind of reiterate, how do you weigh in on what these college athletes should get? Um, and should they be getting paid beyond their scholarships, grants, or whatever they are getting through the university? Oh, absolutely. These athletes deserve to be making some type of money, whether it's an athlete who's out there playing football or whether it's an athlete who's dominating chess on the chessboard, whether it's a super academic person who's competing in even an academic competition, all those kids should be getting paid due to how much money these universities are making in general year after year with tuition costs in all of that. And even more so for like college football, basketball, these sports where people are getting injured. I've known a handful of division one athletes who have been buddies like growing up. They went to play college hockey and college football. And as an athlete, you don't have – like, they give you the bare bones minimum of what you basically need to survive. Like, being a Division One athlete, you need to be getting in the calories every single day. You need to be working out. You need to be on a proper nutrition plan, sleep schedule, all that, which they do a great job. I want to say schedule-wise, they do a great job accommodating all the athletes on giving them time to get all their stuff done. But when it comes to the food or just having money to buy a, a fucking jacket, if you need to buy a jacket, something along those lines, those kids that aren't coming from families that have that money, you're you're putting your body on the line. So I feel like you should be getting at least a decent amount, be able to at least have your jersey sold on campus and be making in the money from that signing autographs for fans because all that is benefiting the school at the end of the day, like all that money, like a Jersey, 50 bucks. Okay. 25 or not even half say 90, 10, 90% goes to the athlete. 10% goes back to the university where you're still getting that money coming back. And like we talked about the other day with these booster companies, some of these schools have, these kids could be living like NFL players and having that maturity that these teams want to see when they come into the NFL, because they've had experiencing managing money, all of that while they're still in school where they have somebody looking out for them. Mm-hmm. And kind of an idea that I like that you brought up before we went live is I, I whatever the university's issue or the NCAA's issue is with giving these kids money, whether they think they're going to go stash it away in a fucking offshore account or stuff it under their mattress or where they think this money is going to go. They're on your campus. That money you give them for their likeness and their image or whatever, whatever, like this extra money, it's going to go back into your university. And the idea you brought up is kind of like a, a university only gift card where 
they get whatever X amount of thousand dollars put on it that they can use to go buy clothes, buy food, buy school supplies, utilities, a desk, like whatever they might need to sustain their life. Cause like you said, a lot of them are struggling to where they need, they need good nutrition and sleep and all that. And they can't get it because they don't have the money um, to do it. Obviously a lot of them are probably on like cafeteria programs where they can go to whatever and get it that way. But what about after a workout when it's nine, 10 o'clock at night, the cafeteria is closed and they go back to their room. They need food in their room. They need the, and they're eating a cup of ramen noodles Yeah, and they've just been busting their ass. And it's like, they need to eat a legit meal. Yeah. But yeah, I like that idea with the gift card because if the universities and the NCAA is worried about all that money escaping through the cracks and who knows where it goes, if that gift card is only used on campus, that's where the money's coming back. The kids are happy because they can afford the food and clothes and get these, like, um, get these things and make and get paid for their likeness and things like that. And then the university stays happy and they're fucking, they're greedy ass. Uh, wanting out all the money, all that money comes back into their university, so everybody's happy then. Um, how they'd be able to work that through, and if it's how, how they make these gift cards work, or whatever it might be, who knows? But like you said, some of them are, are banking on their monthly stipends where the fridge is empty, and it's like, shit, my monthly stipend doesn't come for another four days. I, I don't know what I'm going to eat. <laughs> like, that shouldn't happen for. Any like any normal person, let alone a college athlete, who is paying thirty to oh, damn near eighty thousand dollars a year to attend there, and they're sitting in their dorm room starving. Like, where the fuck is that money going then? <laughs> but yeah, so and then I guess the other the other thing, um, kind of with the NCAA as well. Um, we talked about last episode with UConn Baylor, their kind of no call. Uh, this is unrelated to that, but the women's Baylor basketball coach stressed that COVID testing should be taken out for final four basketball to keep the focus on basketball, because otherwise uh, national championship comes three of your five starters test positive. That team's fucked kind of kind of thing and it basically throws the whole thing sideways especially for like Gonzaga if Gonzaga has some guys test positive it could ruin their it could ruin their their run for a perfect season um so do you think this is a good idea for the athletes or do you think it's going to create issues down the road for these universities if outbreaks end up happening down the road absolutely I feel like this is just the Baylor's coach trying to affect what is going on after they suffered that loss that they did take NCAA is going to keep this protocol going. They've had it going for little over a year now with how all these sports have been shaking out with the protocols and the bubble type atmosphere. Like Gonzaga, for instance, how you mentioned, they even had one test all season long come up positive for COVID. These kids know what's on the line. These kids aren't fucking going, hanging out with the kids. They know what's at stake just like these these teams that know what's at stake going into the championship. So these kids know what's on the line. They're not messing – they're not going to be messing around doing anything like that to cost their team a potential championship at this point this late into the season. Maybe going forward, maybe you do have somewhat different protocols for next season. 
where maybe you get again, I don't think that's in the best interest for the kids. Like, because a lot of these people who have unfortunately passed away and stuff were people who were working out extremely and doing stuff extremely while getting the virus and not knowing that they had it. And the next thing you know, they're down in the hospital. So I feel like they definitely have to keep these COVID protocols, how they keep them. They might make them a little more lax now with the vaccine becoming a thing, whether they make all the kids get a vaccine, obviously they can't make them, but who knows what happens behind closed doors, all that type of stuff. So I just feel like this is just the Baylor's Baylor's coach just being salty, kind of saying we want our kids to be able to run around and do whatever the fuck they want to do now that we're out. Kind of, kind of going off that thought where you say about what happens behind closed doors. Like you said, a lot of these teams that have gone down the stretch, either they like Baylor's had issues with had COVID issues. Gonzaga really, from what I can remember throughout the whole season, season hasn't had an issue. It, in part, it's due to, like you said, these kids understand what's on the line. They're staying safe. They're keeping the goal, their goal in front of them and not getting distracted by anything else. At the same time, behind these closed doors, do you think there's any tampering with these tests where somebody may have had a, like a, um, a positive test that got sweep under the rug or whatever it might be and kind of like pulled that one guy aside and quarantined him for a little bit, even though – it should have been who contract their contact tracing and all the people around him. And cause it, once one person gets it, anybody who's been close to them for X amount of time, boom, you're out as well. Do you think there's any of that going on where maybe there's some sweeping out of the rug of some positive tests to kind of not ruin these kids season? I mean, at the beginning of this whole thing, I did think that there was potential tampering going on and stuff like that. But the more and more I've looked into what all is required for as far as testing stuff and all of that goes, they really have them on lockdown. So there'd really be no way because all these tests are taken in front of like spectators, stuff like that. So there'd be no way to really false a fake test. Maybe during the regular season, you could have some of those issues going on because it's not monitored as tightly. But once you're here at the NCAA championship and you have like the top board members and stuff involved, stuff's really locked down. So I don't feel like it's affecting playoffs or any of that as much in any of the sports, but during the regular season, you do, you can put that question mark there because it's the regular season. You don't know how laxed some of these people are, or like you said, yeah, maybe even we, this guy's hurt. We're going to say it's COVID instead because we don't want to know these. We don't want other teams to know this guy's hurt. Mm-hmm. We're going to say COVID, put him on the list, wait till he's recovered and come back. So there's plenty of possibilities that are out there. That's why I say you can put that question mark there. I just really don't think it's an issue here with the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, I agree that, that there might have been tampering down the road. Um, there's just always something to bring up. You never know. But, yeah, it definitely seems like they got it locked down really well. They have, Aside from VCU in the first round, I think that's really the only team that had COVID issues. Well, and then um, you had Duke who couldn't go or one of those teams, big teams yeah. that couldn't go. I'm saying like since it the Kentucky? tournament. Yeah, it was Duke. It was Duke. <laughs> I'm saying like since the tournament started, VCU is the only team that's had to forfeit a contest. Due to COVID. Right, but 
But like with that whole tampering thing, these teams would have done it to get to the tournament if it was possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's kind of all the points I had today. Like I just usually, <laughs> as soon as we talk about something, I delete it and down, down to, I got nothing here. So um, what do you got for hockey news? Uh, hockey news briefly. My Flyers play tonight. They do play the Buffalo Sabres again. So that streak is still on the line, that losing streak for them. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tonight. Like I mentioned on Monday, Buffalo went up 3-0 going into the third period. That last game, the Flyers came back, put it away, got it in OT. I really hope the Flyers come out tonight and play. Um, I really don't want to see them continue to struggle how they've been struggling being a, being a diehard fan of the squad. Just some other news. Um, a couple other contests. The Wild Sharks, Flames, Canucks, uh, the Coyotes, and the Avalanche. You also have the Leafs and the Jets. And then over on NBCSN tonight, you have the Vegas – uh, Golden Knights versus the Kings at 9 p.m., which will be following the Flyers-Sabres game, which will also be on NBCSN. Um, I guess big hockey news, really nothing at this point. Uh, I guess we'll have more here coming. I'll have more here coming, especially as the trade deadline gets closer here. I'm going to have a guest on, and we're going to dive into – what the team should be looking for if they're going to make a big move at the deadline and kind of give an early rundown on what we think the playoffs are going to have and what teams are going to make the playoffs. So as of right now, nothing really. I guess the Blackhawks are continuing to roll. Capitals did lose yesterday, which was unfortunate. Um, Ovechkin held goalless. Don't like to see that. But, yeah. Just more close games, a lot of games going on every single night as it's going to be going to the end of the season. I know the Bruins are like six games behind everybody else right now, so they got to try to get those extra six games in. Edmonton, Montreal, they had their whole COVID thing. So it's really going to be interesting to see how these teams shake out with the injuries, the COVID, having to make up games. I want to say – Normally, by the deadline, you can kind of tell who's going to be in in a run, but this whole season has been basically a whole playoff sprint, second half of the season sprint, as every game is so meaningful of the points out there. So, love to see it as a hockey fan. It's like watching playoffs all season long. I did hear some talks, potentially. I don't, I don't know how much you've watched the hockey season but me watching the Flyers play, seeing them play the same teams over and over and over again, yeah, it's kind of cool to see. But you wonder what's going to happen when it comes down to playoffs and you're playing teams that you haven't played all season long. Seeing them on TV, watching is completely different than stepping on the ice and playing against some of these squads. So what do you kind of think the NHL should maybe do as far as getting different matchups in like do you think they should stick with the same format until this whole COVID issue is gone due to the travel purposes that's why they kind of did it to keep these teams close or do you think that they should just go back to how it was and play with the protocols I mean 
I kind of like what they did as far as putting like the Cana- like the Canadians kind of together in their own division. I feel like that's kind of been a thing that they should have did years ago just for, I don't know, it's cool. Like we talked about in previous episodes, Canadians live and breathe hockey to sort of have all the Canadian teams in one division and have them all go at it. I think it'd be fun to watch outside of just having them for COVID reasons do that. Um, I mean, there's I mean, comparing to other leagues and stuff where they're kind of sticking with their same schedules. I know college football, they, they did kind of a conference only play this year, which depending on the conference you're in, it's still fun to watch like the big 10. There's a lot of good uh, competition there. Uh, it's for, for the NHL. Like you said, it's a lot of games I watch. It's like, Oh, they're playing them again. Oh, they're playing them again. I don't know if they, if it's a matter of going completely back to a normal schedule, but having some kind of break, um, for instance, kind of like how the, for the NFL, you play one AFC conference every year. So like, like the Packers will play like the entire NFC West or the AFC North or whatever. I think it's the AFC North that they play this year. Maybe that's what the NHL does moving forward uh, just to kind of add some new some new a new team on the ice instead of playing your same division from each conference you flip and you play them like you play one team you play two series against them eventually so like right now don't they play every team in the division 18 times or whatever it is right now yeah they play every team 16 times in their division. 16 times so yeah, like so you do two different eight. series so yep, you do it's... okay and it's either back-to-back nights or there's a day off in between and then you're playing and then you're either having one, two days off and you're going to the next city for your back-to-back games, whoever you're playing again. And you're just kind of rotating through the list where like the old NHL, well, before this whole COVID thing, I know a big thing for teams is the travel. You have teams that are flying cross country. I know every team's got the California trip that they dread, especially those teams from the East that got to go out to California for the two weeks, run through all the teams. And then you got the avalanche who are a powerhouse that you usually finish with coming back. So it's really with, with the travel very limited this season, but you're jam packing playing every single night, pretty much back to back. I feel like, if if somehow with these vaccines you see start seeing the numbers go down, I'd love to see see it get back to how it was because it just it's fun to see the teams play the teams that you may have a favorite player on. It's like me, my favorite player. He plays on the Kings. It's always nice to see my Flyers play the Kings, especially since he was an old Flyer. Probably not going to get to see that happen, and he's probably going to be out of the league before that gets to happen again. So. It's unfortunate that you don't get to see that or you don't get to see some of the matchups that you'd like to get to see. But like you said, for Canadian fans, the season's probably got to be one of the best. You get to see that Battle of Alberta eight times, well, 16 times. You get to see McDavid light it up against all of Canada and just prove that he's Canada's biggest stud. Um, but, yeah, like for the American teams, it's – this early already into the season, you kind of already have runaways with, I mean, the East is always the East, the Metro, which is now the mass mutual East. It's always tough. It's always close. You always have probably five, six, seven teams that could probably make it really only four can. 
it's just it's just really different now that the Canadian teams aren't over in the East that really battle it out and battle hard. So, yeah, interesting to see where the NHL is going to go with that. That's really all I had on that. Just one quick point was just that about that whole schedule thing, wondering <coughs> what they're going to do. <coughs> Excuse me, going forward. And yeah, thanks again, everybody, for listening again today. Great episode. Thank you guys for all your support, watching, likes, follows, all that stuff. Continue to check out socials. We'll be pumping out more of that content here. Hopefully we should have some news on that guest that should be appearing next week at some point. So hopefully we can be releasing that here as the weekend comes up. Did you have anything else before we uh, go here? I don't think so. Yeah, another great episode. Um, Yeah, always a lot of stuff to talk about every day. So it's always fun. All right, perfect. Well, you have a great rest of your day, sir. You too. I'll see you tomorrow. All right, sounds good.